0: Well, good morning, faith family. Good morning. It's good to see you. If you have a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is where our text will be this morning. Uh, We're going through the book of Acts. We're challenging our faith family to be a church on mission. We're challenging you as a follower of Jesus Christ to be living a life on mission. Uh, Full disclosure, this morning I was supposed to cover all of Acts 6 and all of Acts 7. That ain't going to happen. All right. I could not this week get past the rich truth that is found just in the first seven verses of Acts 6. So we're going to be off schedule, but here, here's what I told the, the service last night. I said this, um, when you're preaching through the book of Acts, it's probably better to be led by the Spirit <laughs> than man's agenda. Amen? Amen? And so we're just going to let God lead in this. And I believe that what's found in these first seven verses of Acts 6 is so critically important for us to be a church on mission. So would you please stand for the reading of God's Word as we look together. By the way, as you're standing, would you pray for our students and families? We have some like 200-something students and their families that are away this weekend on a retreat. And uh, I think they're coming home uh, this afternoon to just pray that God has done some amazing things uh, in their lives. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole whole congregation, the gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procorius, Decanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, and they were set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid, laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is God's word. Would you please now join me in prayer and ask the Lord to guide us during this time. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Um, help us now focus on the things that you want to teach us. Help us be focused on what really matters when it comes to our lives as we seek to be a life, a church, on mission. All to the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. And God's people said, "Amen." amen. Amen. You may be seated. One small distraction can lead to significant consequences. That's the lesson that Lindsay learned that day. With nothing in front of her but the finish line and nothing behind her for like 50 yards, Lindsay Jacob Ellis had the Olympic gold medal for snowboarding all but around her neck. But she got silver. Silver. And the reason she got silver was not because she got tired and slowed down. It wasn't because, you know, she pulled a muscle and got injured. She got silver because she lost her focus. You see, coasting to what looked to be a runaway victory, Lindsay diverted her attention and ended up falling on the ground. By the time she could get back up and regain her speed, it was too late. she was already past. And to the shock of her friends and her family and her fans and even herself, Lindsay had lost the gold. She lost focus on the mission. You see, when she was interviewed after that event, she said, quote, I admit I got caught up in the moment. What happened was Lindsay did the one thing you're never supposed to do. She looked back. And when she saw how big of a lead she had, she decided to do an unnecessary move on the second to last jump and it cost her the gold. One small distraction can lead to significant consequences. Focus. It's hard to do, isn't it? Particularly given the fact that you and I live in a world that is full of distractions. We live in a phone ringing, text buzzing, email sending, kids screaming, job changing, people interrupting, horn talking, school transferring, errand running, Facebook posting, always changing. Oh, look, a squirrel. Culture. (laughs) We are bombarded, aren't we, all the time with distractions. Our life is like the student section at an Arizona State basketball game. Have you seen this? Where at Arizona State, at one of their basketball games, in the the student section, they have what they call the curtain of distraction. And what happens is when the opposing team is shooting free throws, they pull this curtain out, and just as the player is about to shoot, the curtain opens, and you have no idea what's coming out. (laughs) I mean, you'll see Elvis... You'll see a man in a diaper. I mean, there's no telling what you're going to see. All at an attempt to distract. Every day, the curtain of distraction gets opened in your life. In fact, I was shocked in my preparation for this message to discover that 30% of automobile accidents are due to driver distractions. 28% of our workday includes, quote, unnecessary interruptions, which cost the U.S. economy $588 billion a year. Research shows that you and I face at least one distraction every 11 minutes. If I had a dollar for every time I got distracted. I'm sorry, what was I saying? (laughs) There's a lot of noise in your life. And if we are not careful, our attention will be diverted from the things that matter most. It is exactly what the church is facing in Acts 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, are you starting to notice a theme in the book of Acts? The church is growing at a rapid pace. Pop quiz. Acts chapter 2, how many? 3,000. Acts chapter 4, how many? 5,000 men. We don't know what that represents. Maybe 10,000, maybe 15, maybe 20. Now in Acts 6, Luke says that the disciples are growing rapidly. The church is growing at an enormous rate. And notice that Luke tells us, this is important, just a quick word here, that the number of disciples were increasing In other words, this isn't just decisions made, cards checked, hands raised, aisles walked. All of that can be fine. I'm not being negative about that. But what Luke is clear of is that these are people who are actually devoting themselves to the word. They're devoting themselves to the fellowship. They're devoting themselves to the prayer. These are devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want I am so thankful for the way that we've been growing over the last several months, but we don't just want numbers, we want disciples. That's why we don't promise you TVs if you're the first 50 here. We're not going to change your oil while you're in here in the service, although that'd be pretty sweet, All right, It's why we don't tickle your ears. I'm totally shocked you come back. I, I get up here and yell at you about Jesus and the gospel for like 40 minutes every week and you go tell your friends and bring them back with you, it's crazy. We're not about we're not in this just for numbers. We're in this for disciples. We want people to be devoted to following Christ. That's gospel growth. But have you ever noticed that the more people you have, the more complaining you have? It's interesting how that ratio works. More people, more issues. How come we don't do it that way anymore? How come we don't do that anymore? What about my group? What about me? Growth creates growing pains. If you don't believe that, ask any parent who's had multiple children. I recently became a father. Thank you. Became a father for the fourth time? Never so much applause on that part. Really no applause, right? Because after the third kid, people stop congratulating you. Then they just treat you like you're Amish. Four? Well, that's one way to live your life. Can you build us one of those wood fireplaces? Four kids? four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning (laughs) and then someone hands you a baby. (laughs) All right. amen. I mean, is that not true or what? Any parents like, yeah, I totally relate to that. It's true, isn't it? When a family grows, when an organization grows, when a church grows, so do the challenges. In fact, notice what's happening here. You've got more and more and more disciples are increasing, which means you've got more and more widows. And notice the issue. Verse 1, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. In other words, this is a serious problem. There is no denying what the Bible says about the care for orphans and widows. James 1.27, you know this well. Religion pure and undefiled before God is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So when you hear me saying what I'm saying, what I'm not saying is that this is an insignificant matter. It is extremely important And it represents two important things as well. In fact, the first is this. It's it's an economic provision issue, or, or let me say it simply, caring for the poor. Because you need to understand that caring for widows in the ancient Near East was the equivalent of caring for the poor. A widow would have absolutely no way of providing for herself. No income, and that's why the community would gather around to make sure that she was cared for because she was poor. But there's actually something else going on here. There's a a racial tension that Luke mentions. Notice you have the Hellenists who are complaining against the Hebrews. Well, who are they? The Hellenists were Jews born outside of Palestine, all the way back from like the Assyrian captivity and, 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 and Babylon, Jews had been scattered all over. And some Jews were born outside of Palestine. They speak Greek, and they have totally different customs than those that live in Jerusalem. The Hebraic Jews were born in Jerusalem and had lived there all their life. To bring it into our context, they'd been at the church longer. And now because of Pentecost, they're all in one geographic location. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, they're now a part of one body. And the unity of chapter 4 is now threatened in chapter 6. And there is something very dangerous happening. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your organization. And it will destroy a church. Assumptions... We're being made. But what about us? You love those people more than you love us. Those people get better treatment than we get. You see, Luke tells us they're they're being neglected, but he doesn't tell us why assumptions were being made as to why they were being left out I want you to jot this down just a very practical challenge for you in your relational life a why assumptions will destroy your marriage destroy your family destroy your work situation and here's why two reasons number one is when you make assumptions it assigns motives that's very dangerous I see it all the time it drives me crazy even I do it and that is this you assume you know why someone is doing something and you haven't even talked to them. That's dangerous. Because when you judge the motives of others before you've talked to others, your heart is a fertile ground for the enemy to sow seeds of division. Here's a second reason why you don't make assumptions is because it breeds gossip. The the, the idea here in Acts 6 is this complaint has bubbled up so much that now the apostles have to step in. They're not dealing with one another. It's now brought to the apostles to have to deal with. Here's the problem with gossip right here. It It is organizational vomit as far as I'm concerned. Gossip is saying something negative to someone who can't do anything about it gossip is saying something negative to someone who cannot do anything about it and that will destroy a family it will destroy an organization it will destroy a church why what's going on here i tell you what's going on here right here Satan is once again trying to disrupt the mission of the church. He's tried a persecuting government in Acts chapter 4. He's tried internal hypocrisy in Acts chapter 5. And now he's trying gossip and grumbling and mistrust because gossip has killed more churches than persecution ever has. And here's the brilliant strategy. You got to get this. Here's the strategy. Create a scenario where they start focusing inward instead of outward. It's brilliant. Get them focused on their needs so they'll give no consideration for the needs of others. Get them focused on their comfort so they'll forget the mission. Because all it takes is one small distraction to lead to significant consequences. One of my favorite books, if you don't have it, get it. If you haven't read it, read it. By C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters. It's a fictional book about a senior demon, you've probably heard me talk about it before, named Screwtape, who writes letters to his nephew, who's a younger demon, and he's trying to figure out how do I keep Christians from being serious about their faith? And here is one of the strategies in which Screwtape writes to Wormwood. Listen to it. Quote, Make him waste his time. Not only in conversations he enjoys with people he likes, but in conversations with those he cares nothing about on subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing for long periods of time. And all the outgoing activities, that is the mission, which we want him to avoid can be inhibited. So that he may say, as one of my own patients said when he arrived down here, now I see that I spent most of my life doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. Remember The only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate him from the enemy, that is God. It doesn't matter how small the sins, provided their cumulative effect, is to edge the man away from the light and into nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards will do the trick. Because the safest road to hell is the gradual one. It's brilliant. All you need to do is get their attention focused off of the most important things and get them on other things. what is it in your life distracting you from the priorities of life what is it your life is so full of noise and you may be flat on your face off course and not even know it a job that's really good but it's become more important than your family money that there's nothing wrong with and that's become more important than relationships Religious service has become your focus instead of Jesus. Just get them distracted. So, what do the apostles do? I know what some of you are thinking. You're only in verse one. Can you imagine if we'd have done all two chapters? So, let's get to verse two. How do the apostles respond? And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, is it, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now real quickly, what is the word of God? Because we don't have a Bible yet at this point. God is still breathing that out and bringing that together. Here is the word of God in the book of Acts. It's very simple. What are the apostles proclaiming everywhere they go? Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and oh, by the way, you killed him. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and oh, by the way, you killed him. That's pretty much their message. In other words, it is the gospel. So what did the apostles do? Now hang with me. The apostles refuse to give up prayer and preaching to serve tables. To which some of you may say, oh, sounds to me like somebody's a little too big for their britches. Mr. Celebrity Pastor, woo Mr. Super Apostle, you think you're too good now to serve tables? Just who do you think you are? They know exactly who they are and more importantly they know what God has called them to do right here faith family they are not trying to be prideful they're trying to be faithful would you listen in on a conversation that I'm about to have to myself Wes Feltner, a pastor, is not a contracted church consultant. He is a called-out Christ follower charged with dedicating his life to preaching the gospel. Success in ministry is not busyness. It's faithfulness. And it is the downfall of so many pastors. You want to know how to pray for me? Here's how you pray for me. The church grows, demands grow. There's more families, there's more visiting, there's more building, there's more staffing, there's more budgeting. And before long, it's a 60-hour week and he hasn't even touched the word. And he looks likable, he looks humble, he looks relational, but he's not the one thing God's called him to be and that's faithful. And the sermons get stale and the sermons get flat. And before long, the very thing that brought life to a congregation is is now gone. People come to me all the time. It rips my heart out when they say they go to churches all around America and they don't hear the gospel proclaimed and they ask me why. And I'm sure there's many reasons for that. But one of the reasons is because pastors have gotten too busy and they have forsaken the priority of proclaiming the gospel because if immorality has killed a thousand pastors, busyness has slain ten thousand. So the apostles did what is the most difficult thing to do in ministry. And I'm bearing my heart to you this morning. It is the hardest thing I do. They said no. 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 We can't do that. In fact, I I want you to practice with me. It's really easy. It's just one word. Two letters. No on the count of three. One, two, three. No. If you don't start focusing on the priorities of your life and saying no to the things you're saying yes to, you will be irrelevant to the mission of God. It's one of the hardest things to do. Chuck Swindoll says this he says a leader has the strength to say no without explanation researcher David Myers who's done a lot of research on the brain has shown that what makes great athletes great authors great leaders great musicians I would add great churches is the ability to focus on a single task for extended periods of time without distractions That's so hard to do in our Pace of life. It's why, by the way, I don't do a lot of counseling. I do some counseling, I don't do a lot. And you say, Well, why don't you do a lot of counseling? Well, it's because I hate people. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I don't hate people. Not all of them, anyway. I mean, I don't have people. You say, Well, because maybe you're a really bad counselor. That actually could be true. I mean, I'm a lot like Bob Newhart in that skit. I'm probably going to look at you and just say, Well, stop it. You know? But the main reason I don't do a lot of counseling and other things is because it's not the best way I serve you. It's not the best way I serve you. Here's what God said to me in preparing for this, and then i got to move on. And, And if it offends you, it offends you. Berean Baptist Church does not write my job description. God already has. And we must be faithful to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ can I say quickly thank you thank you for the way you prioritize the importance of the gospel that lets me do what God has called me to do you have no idea what that means so why did they say no why did they say no because Gospel proclamation is the priority of the mission. I know what some of you are thinking. If you're tracking with me at all, like if you've got your thinking cap on at all, here's what you should be asking. And I'm going to raise a little bit of tension right now. Then are you saying that like preaching and sharing the gospel and learning the gospel and hearing the gospel is more important than racial reconciliation and caring for the poor? You got widows. You got Hellenist and Hebraic Jews who aren't getting along. Wait a minute. We got way too many needs when it comes to racism and the poor to just think that a sermon matters is that what you're saying it's exactly what I'm saying In fact, it's not what I'm saying. It's actually what the apostles are saying. And you're saying, that offends me. i got a problem with that. I'm going to get up and walk out. If you don't explain yourself, okay, I'll explain myself. You will not have the right motivation to seek racial reconciliation or care for the poor without the gospel. It's why Protestant liberalism and secular moralism does not go far enough. What is racism? It is a sense of superiority that you think your race is better than someone else's race. Here's what the gospel says. You have no basis for superiority because everybody, red, yellow, black, and white, have fallen short of the glory of God and are in need of His grace. The cross shatters racism. Grace eliminates race. Yes. Amen. Uh, there's like three people golf <laughs> clap. <laughs> You cannot address the issue of racism deep enough without the gospel. And you say, what about care for the poor? That's even easier. You're not a Christian until you've admitted your bankruptcy before God. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And what do we know about the gospel? What do we know about the gospel? Jesus, though he was rich, became poor, so that we who were poor might be rich in God. And it means that when you see a poor person, you don't say, oh, look at them. Bless their heart. What you say is, that's me outside of Jesus Christ. Satan would love it if all racism went away and all poor were cared for so long as there was no gospel. Why? Moralism may help, but the gospel transcends you can't do verse 1 without verse 2 because the gospel informs why you care for widows and why Hellenist and Hebraic Jews ought to come together here's your application I have asked you what is it in your life that is distracting you and now I'm asking you what are those priorities that you need to focus your full attention on are you the kind of Christian are you the kind of husband are you the kind of employee are you the kind of, 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 of child that lives with focused determination now here's what some of you are thinking and you should be thinking it besides we're still in verse 2 Um, What about the widows? Are you going to be this insensitive, pastor? Like, yeah, widows, whatever. No, I've already told you this is unbelievably significant. In fact, it must be dealt with. Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit, wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse 5, and they, what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen. All these men had Greek names. And verse 6, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. For the sake of time, let me be quick. It's rare, I know. Do you know how this problem got solved? Everybody looking? Shared ministry shared ministry individuals from the congregation marked by the spirit and wisdom who kept ministry moving forward and the mission as primary nobody saying well how can I use my skills though that's awesome Nobody's saying, how can I use my passions? That's wonderful. Nobody's saying, how can I display my general awesomeness? So that everybody will know. Here's what's going on. There's a need. Who will meet it? There's a need. Who will meet it? Here's what you must walk away from this text learning. If you want to be on mission with the church, you're going to have to make room in your life to serve the church. If you're going to be on mission with the church, you're going to have to make room in your life to serve the church. Even if it's in areas that are not what you want to do. Last time I checked, washing feet was way below Jesus' pay grade. But He had the heart of a servant. I could name so many different things in our faith family right now. I'm just going to mention one. Our chil- we've got children busting out the seams. Isn't that awesome? But with growth comes growing pains. We have a desperate need for people to volunteer and serve in our children's area to share the load for the sake of the next generation. The best application to today's message would be crashing our church website because you go on the volunteer link and you fill out areas that you're willing to serve in and you get plugged in because if you're going to be on mission with this church, you've got to make room in your life to serve this church. This this situation was solved through shared Ministry, and here's what's so abnormal. Look at verse five quickly, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. I wonder if all of you are in that boat this morning. You see, a lot of churches I know are like, "No, that's what we pay you guys for." Read your Bible. The beauty of a church on mission is sharing the responsibility of ministry they were pleased that the apostles did what they were called to do and they were pleased that others did what they were called to do and it was a beautiful thing because notice the result and will end the word of God continued to increase the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith can I just say something for free real quick here's how I interpret that Satan you lose again you thought you could use a government in chapter 4 you thought you could use hypocrisy in chapter 5 you thought you could use grumbling and gossip in chapter 6 well guess what the gates of hell will not prevail that's totally free here's what happens Three quick things, bullet point. The gospel continued to be proclaimed. Think about it this way. Real quick thought, real quick thought. One of the ways you demonstrate your love for gospel proclamation is through ministry participation. It goes like this. I so love the gospel. I want Jesus shouted from the mountaintops. Now what can I do to make sure that happens? The word of God continued to increase. Disciples continued to increase. More people devoted to the word, to the fellowship, to prayer. And lives were being transformed by the power of the gospel. You say, where do you get that from? Last phrase, many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That is this. this This is pretty sweet. Those that wanted Jesus dead now are following him with their lives. That's so awesome. The priests, the religious leaders who wanted Jesus dead are now following him with their lives. Here's the summary. of Now, did you see why we couldn't do all two chapters? There's no way. No way. Here's the summary of the first seven verses in one sentence. And some of you are thinking, if it was one sentence, why didn't you just give us that at the beginning? (laughs) What would we have done for 35 minutes? I don't know. So here's the summary. Here's the takeaway. Challenges to growth caused by growth can be occasions for growth when priorities are protected and ministry is shared. Isn't that sweet? Challenges to growth... We want to grow. We want to be a gospel fragrance in this community for the sake of disciples. And as we grow, there are going to be rubs and tensions and challenges along the way. But those can be opportunities for more growth when we protect the things that matter most and we share the ministry together. It is a beautiful thing when the body of Christ is on mission with focused determination. So I ask you this morning, what is distracting you in your life? What are those things that have got your attention off the things that matter most? Because one small distraction can lead to significant consequences. Let me challenge you with this. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let Us run with endurance the race that God has set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Faith family, today, if your life is distracted, put your focus on Jesus Christ this day a man whose life was also full of distractions. Come on, Jesus, turn these stones into bread. Jesus, you said that you're going to be killed. Listen, we will never, ever let that happen to you. Oh, that this cup would pass, but not my will, your will. Oh, if you're really the Son of God, would you come down off that cross? Jesus lived a life full of all kinds of distractions, but I stand before you this morning and praise God, Jesus never looked back. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God, give us that kind of focused determination. Speak to us today. It may be about your mission. It may be about our family. But there are things distracting us. There's so much noise in our lives. Oh, that you, Spirit, would give us a sense of clarity. What do we need to say yes to? What do we need to say no to? So that our lives are lived for mission. Speak to us, O oh God reveal these things to us. There are some in this room that their life isn't focused on the most important thing because they don't know Jesus. Would you bring their life into focus? Help them see their sin for what it is and let them see the beauty of a Savior. Lord for the Christian in here who's fallen down and lost their way would you this morning by your grace? Bring us back to the race you've called us to run. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.